Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by someone who's no stranger to the Jew3 Project. I think it's his third time, uh, Dr. Marvin McMickle. Welcome, Dr. McMickle. Thank you. Good to see you again. Good to be with you by way of technology. I know. <laughs> I'll, yeah. get, I'll get to see you um, next week in person because we're both speaking at the Call and Response Conference. Um, oh, okay. At North... At, uh, at North Northeast Seminary. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Very so, good. 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 <laughs> um, and like I was shared, we um, use your clip uh, when we go on the HBCU tour. We had it yeah. um, played it at Southern um, a few months ago, and the students really liked what you had to say. They didn't know that much. It really combat the false narrative that the black church took money from the community, and what you shared showed the opposite of that. So, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad that it can be used in that way. <laughs> so for those who miss, maybe have not seen your previous episodes, just give them a little bit of background about who you are. All right. Um, Marvin McMickle, and I'm currently serving as the president of Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School, which is in Rochester, New York. Uh, the school is in its 199th year. Wow. So wow. Next year will be our bicentennial. This is my eighth year here. Before that, I was for 24 years at Antioch Baptist Church, which is the church about in terms of our programs and outreach activities in Cleveland, Ohio. Prior to that, I was pastor of St. Paul Baptist Church in Montclair, New Jersey. And prior to that, I was on the staff at Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York City, where Samuel Pop was the pastor at that time where Calvin Butts is the pastor today. Uh, so I'm also a teacher. I teach in the fields of African-American religious studies and homiletics. Uh, I've written 17 books, one of which I hope I can talk about a little bit on today. I've uh, been married for 43 years, have one son, two granddaughters, um, and partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Today, we're going to sure. talk about something that we often hear on the news, but not many people uh, know much about it. Uh, if you were to probe, they know the political ideology, but they don't know uh, what else is behind the term. And that yeah. is a loaded term in today's uh, uh, world, evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. Specifically yeah. how it connects to the Black church. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons I, I, I saw to hear your opinion on this, because I remember you tweeted a couple of years ago and we reposted that evangelicalism is not a political ideology, <clears throat> it is a Christian doctrine. Right, yeah. Um, can, you, can you break that down for us about what evangelicalism sure. is? Sure, Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that anybody can do is salvage a wonderful theological term and save it from its appropriation by right-wing conservative uh, political activists who are looking for religious cover for their uh, sometimes devilish activity. So the word evangelical, of course, is taken from the Greek word euangelos, 
the good news. So evangelical comes from that Greek word, and it simply is the way in which the good news of Jesus Christ is shared and spread. So what is the real meaning of the word evangelical? What does it mean to be an evangelical? Starts in the great uh, awakening of this country in the 18th century. Starts with people like um, George Whitfield and, and uh, Jonathan Edwards and others. And first of all, an evangelical is a person who has confessed faith in Christ and sought forgiveness for sin. So it believes that there is a fallen nature to humanity that must be redeemed. The second point is that an evangelical believes that redemption is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. So you are fallen, but you can be saved. Third, the evangelicals believe that the authority by which we teach these things is rooted in the scripture. So the authority of the Bible as the place from which we draw the notion of fallen humanity and saved by faith in Christ. The fourth is that we believe in the evangelization, not just of individuals. We have a very lofty goal, the evangelization of the whole world. My friend Cleophus LaRue at Princeton says, this gospel preached to the world, even if it is only embraced by a few. So whether folks say yes or no is up to them. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing those who do believe. And then evangelicals, now this is the really strange part. Evangelicals strongly believe in the separation of church and state. So how an evangelical can so closely wed themselves to the Republican Party political ideology is in fact 180 degrees in conflict with what it means to even be an evangelical. What they're up to has nothing at all to do with history, theology, or scripture. It has everything to do with a very narrow political agenda, anti-homosexuality, anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage, anti-integration, uh, anti-black, anti-woman, anti-Muslim, everything. But, the, but you can't say that. You, know, you can't just come out and say that. So you have to cover it by saying, well, we are evangelicals, and evangelicals believe. And anytime you hear an evangelical say, we believe anything, except what I just described as the historic meaning of the term. Quote me, they're lying. Mm -hmm. So how did evangelicalism get hijacked? It got hijacked in the middle part of the 20th century when people who began as evangelicals saw themselves kind of marginalized, um, Southern Baptists, certain Pentecostal and charismatic groups, uh, they thought that somehow their approach to religion was looked down on by mainstream bodies, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Lutherans, that they were kind of a poor cousin kept to the side. And in the middle 1950s and 1960s, in order to exert theological, they joined forces, unfortunately, with certain political groups in order to 
try and impose their religion on society by way of using political access. Now, their goal was, at first, understandable, if incorrect. You cannot impose faith by political activity. You can't make somebody uh, believe, and you are not at liberty to punish through the arm of the government those who do not believe what you believe. So take, for instance, a woman's right to choose and the issue of abortion. So what they would like to do is find a way through the government to make illegal something that they are morally opposed to. But since they can't win the argument theologically, they try to win the argument politically by making something illegal, which is not really for the government to determine in my judgment. A woman's right to choose is just that, a woman's right to choose. If she chooses to have the child, fine with me. If she chooses not to have the child, why should the government be involved in making that decision? And the answer is because these uh, persons with a particular theological worldview couldn't persuade the world to see things their way. So they want to use the government to try and make it so by force. Well, once you start down that road, then what else don't you like? Well, we don't like... Um, gay marriage, or we do want school prayer, or we don't like this. So you try to create partnerships with political entities that can accomplish by law, by fine, by imprisonment, by loss of license, what you cannot accomplish by argument. Uh, Jesus never tells us to uh, imprison those who don't believe. He never tells us to burn at the stake those who don't believe. Those are our approaches to what to do when we can't win the argument. Mm -hmm. That's that's helpful in understanding the difference between uh, the political ideology that yeah. versus what the Christian doctrine is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The separation from church and state is that the concept uh, where in the Great Awakening, they believe the conversion was uh, a, a supernatural act not to sure. be imposed by uh, yeah. legalism. And so yeah. because, like you're saying, they couldn't win converts, they decided to use a political means to force yeah. people to do yeah. what they yeah. right. Really right. And, and worse, uh, to your point, not only to use the government to impose religious belief, but then to force through taxation to support religious entities that you don't belong to and don't even believe in. So that's why the first amendment to the Constitution of the United States says, Congress shall pass no law regarding um, the uh, upholding of any religion or the free exercise thereof. One, Congress shall not determine that this religion is the right one, and Congress will not punish anybody who chooses to go a different way. It's just nothing that the government has to do so far as religious practice and belief is concerned. But of course, if you can't win the argument and you think that somehow your way is the right way, maybe the only way, and you can't prevail, then you look for a bigger partner that can accomplish by fiat what you cannot win uh, by preaching, by teaching, or by example. 
Uh, and what, what's of course happening is that they make a lot of noise in their own world, but they're losing the argument with the broader public. So let's take, for instance, the evangelicals' absolute support for Brett Kavanaugh, who's you know, currently uh, looking to become a member of the United States Supreme Court. They are absolutely determined to do that. Why? Because they perceive that he is in vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. They have elected Donald Trump and look beyond all of his obvious faults and flaws because that's the means by which they're going to get somebody on the Supreme Court to accomplish what they really want all along, a political solution to a social and personal problem. But the vast majority of the country is pro-choice. And the vast majority of the country doesn't want to see Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court because they know what he's going to do if he gets there. So here's a case in which a really hardcore group of people acts as if, sounds as if, and is made to appear as if they occupy the high ground. The country spoken long ago. Uh, Roe v. Wade is settled law. Brett Kavanaugh is not popular among the electorate. Uh, and if you don't believe me, wait till the election in November to find out what happens to Republican senators who this nomination through. Mm -hmm. So when we think about evangelicalism and the black church, from what you stated as it relates to um, the tenets of evangelicalism, it seems to be tied to what the black church has traditionally believed. Is yeah, I mean, I think most black Christians, if you get, if you just gave them the definition and said, do you believe in these things? Do you believe in human sin? Yeah. Do you believe that whatever your sins are, that God has the grace to forgive you if you seek redemption? Yes. Do you think that the authority by which the church functions in the world is rooted in the teachings of the scriptures? Yes. Do you think that Jesus means for us to share our faith as widely and as broadly as we possibly can? Yes. Do you think that there ought to be a strict separation between the powers of the government and the activities of the church so that the government does not impose religion on people or punish those who choose not to be religious either in this way or in any way? If you gave the average person that list, they would say yes, 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 and yes. Then if you said, now do you know that's the definition of an evangelical? They would say, oh, <laughs> that an evangelical was all about, you know, these social things. So part of my mission in life, so I thank you for this opportunity, is to redeem the word from political use. It has nothing to do with Jerry Falwell, Tony Perkins, the Family Action Network, Jobson, Focus on the Family, nothing at all to do with the values voters. What kind of a phrase is that? Values voters. Mm -hmm. Whose values? What values? They never say what the values are, but we all know the values are abortion, the values are same-sex activity, the values are school prayer. Okay, you're free to have those values. Here's my question. Let's suppose, as I argued in one of my books, let, let's suppose that 
white conservative evangelicals won. And their view of values, the end of abortion and the end of same-sex marriage, let's assume that happened tomorrow. Does the kingdom of God come the next day because those two things have been resolved? And the answer is no, because you still have poverty. You still have um, homelessness. You still have prison overcrowding. You still have failing schools. You still have unnecessary wars. So how can you say that the only values are those two if there are a dozen more remaining after those two have been won? Because they don't care about the other two. They care about these two. And they're going to try to win these two, to quote Malcolm X, by any means necessary. And they're going to have some temporary short-term gain. They're going to lose in the long run because this is not of God. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't take an ungodly approach to a godly solution. Weeping may endure for an evening. Joy will come in the morning. <laughs> So I, I I I always when I listen I sense a, a sense of hypocrisy in in uh, the 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 what we know as evangelical uh, right wing today yeah. because when it comes to issues uh, that those uh, who are talking about social issues like the marginalized the uh, poor then they'll say we don't need to legislate that we need yeah right. We, churches to do that. But then when it comes to these other social issues, it's like legislation. So it's like pick which time you want church and state to be activated. And, yeah. and what you're saying is when evangelicalism or the, the doctrine was being formed, they were like, we don't need to interfere at all uh, with that. We don't want the government. See, think about this. When this country was founded, in the uh, late part of the 18th century, at both at, at most of the levels of state constitutions, uh, every state had its own sort of state religion. If you were living in Virginia, it was the Church of England. If you were living in New England, it was the Congregational Church. Uh, and and if you didn't belong to those churches, there were penalties. Sabbath laws. You, you, you couldn't hold public office. You couldn't own property if you didn't belong to the state-supported church. And even if you didn't belong, you're still being taxed. There were states where Roman Catholics could not vote, where Jews could not vote. Of course, women, women could not vote. And so what they wanted was to be set free from the restrictions that governments can impose on individuals for non-compliance. So you, you get this first amendment to the Constitution. The first thing the founders wanted was to come out from under the thumb of the government imposing religion on people. Now, here we are, all these years later, putting ourselves voluntarily under the thumb of a so-called friendly government, but only friendly to the things that we want them to deal with. But now you say Okay, let's say that the death penalty for uh, drug abuse, it should be banned. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's say that uh, taxes should be increased with the social safety net. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want our tax dollars going 
to that. But you don't want your tax dollars to go to support ICE at the border, putting young children in cages and sending their parents back to almost certain death in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, etc. Yeah, this hypocrisy at its worst. The problem is that they have a very loud megaphone, Fox News. You know, last night somebody called it Trump News. You could just as well call it evangelical news because they're all in bed together. They're all blowing the same horn, playing the same tune. And for progressives and liberals, um, there's not the same level of coordination of message. So you might have a very progressive media, but they may not be friendly to a progressive clergy person. Uh, with the one exception, I'll tell you, the one place you can see this merge is um, the Saturday morning show, uh, Morning Joy. What's her last name? Joy. Joy Reed. Uh, she does a really good job of, of blending together a progressive political agenda and progressive theological voices. But with that exception, I've not seen anybody else who makes good use of the theological arguments that could help to dismantle the conservative theological ideology. They could take some lessons from her on Saturday morning. So from what I'm hearing from you, you kind of don't want to jettison the word evangelical. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. Uh, I want to redeem is, it. A stark difference than most, <laughs> most, yeah. most black clergy people that would identify with evangelical doctrine. They want to just not use the term at all and, and go by a different term because of the political implications that come. I, I understand that. I understand that. Um, I don't fault them. If they do, I would just say, before you let it go, let's do this exercise again. If you believe in these five things, and you say, yes, fallen humanity, yes, saved by grace, yes, authority of scripture, yes, global evangelization, yes, separation of church and state. If you believe in those five things, guess who you are? Historically, evangelical. If you do not uh, believe that the government should be used to impose religion on society, guess what you are? Evangelical. If you are trying to use the government to impose on society what you cannot win by witnessing, whatever else you are, you're not an evangelical. You are conservative or you are, you know, right wing or you are Republican or something. But don't, I'm not going to give that word up to you to misuse it when there's a perfectly good historical basis for the use of the word. Mm -hmm. But I understand those who are just, you know, there's the time for all of this explanation. They just say, okay, if that's what it means today, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to hang around and fight for it, though. Because <laughs> uh, what you're articulating is words matter. Uh, yeah, words matter, yeah. And... Um, the original meaning has nothing to do with political ideology. Uh, and so it's important, I think, for me to hear that as somebody who would align themselves always, as, as long as I've been a Christian, with those t evangelical tenets and not even understanding what the word, yeah. not actually hearing the word until college. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so I think most Black people don't even know that they would identify that way, whether they're Black Pentecostal, AME, Baptist. It is mostly what Black churches across denominational lines affirm, mm -hmm. but they mm -hmm. just would never, they've never known what it yeah. meant to identify yeah. with it. Yeah. You know, we never really use that term. <clears throat> when I was growing up, <clears throat> uh, nobody ever said that we were evangelicals. You know, we, we were Baptist, Methodist, we were uh, Church of God in Crime, we were Roman Catholic. Nobody ever said we were evangelical. I didn't really encounter the word until I was, uh, you know, college student and then a seminary student. And, you know, but I encountered it in church history classes. Uh, so I learned the meaning of the word before it became politicized. Then all of a sudden I'm listening to the news or reading the newspaper and they keep saying uh, white evangelical Christians believe. And then I would hear what it is they believe. And I would say, well, they may be white and they may be Christian, but they're not evangelical. I'm not even sure they're Christian if they believe these things. <laughs> Um, so, you know, as a teacher, as a, as a seminary professor and president, as an author and a writer, you're right, words matter. And I don't want people to take a good word with wonderful history and a profound theological meaning and let somebody else take it and twist it into a new uh, dangerous form because that gives religious cover to some really ungodly things that they don't, they don't deserve. I mean, I watched Mike Pence go on stage last week at this Values Voters Conference. It made, my, it made, my, made me sick to my stomach to hear him appealing to Christians on a 100% political agenda. I mean, the word grace never crossed his lips. The word forgiveness never crossed his lips. The word all have sinned never crossed his lips. It was all about a political agenda for which he was making an appeal to Christians who are applauding him because they don't know this either. They don't know that what he's talking about is a political agenda. I don't fault him for advancing his political agenda. Elections, they won. It's, you know, I can count the vote. What I object to is that he's trying to sell it to us so that we can give him theological, religious cover. Oh, it's not, it's not cruel. It's not ungodly. Look at all the evangelical Christians who support what we're doing. Now, they don't support you as evangelicals. They support you because they have bought into your political ideology. Let's just leave the Lord out of this because. What you're talking about and the good news of Jesus Christ have nothing at all to do one with the other. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good segue until to talking about your book, because I know a lot oh. of preachers are in, in crisis right now with their Christian doctrine and yeah. um, them having those tenets, but then feeling like these things are being hijacked and trying to reconcile because it's like, I'm looking for words so people won't reject me just on the premise of not knowing me, but just my, what my, if I identify with evangelicalism, I don't want to be rejected by people thinking I have a political ideology, but yeah. I'm trying to stay yeah. true to my beliefs. Yeah. 
um, yeah. so sad, yeah. Jettison. What would be your, I know your upcoming book that comes out, I believe you said in October, um, yeah. that you have some admonishments for, for, for ministers in this, in this mm -hmm. time. Um, tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. All right, well, let me show you the cover. This is, this is the book called The Making of a Preacher, Five Essentials for Ministers Today. This is a book <clears throat> that is rooted in chapter three and the story of Moses. And it makes the case that preachers are not born, they are made. Nobody comes out of the womb fully equipped for this job. They may have some talent, they may have some inclination, but they need some pieces to come together. So I suggest five steps. The first one is Moses was called by God. He didn't volunteer. Uh, in fact, he worked not to go, but avoided because the Lord had called him. And the first step in being an effective long-term minister is being sure that God has called you to this. Because if God hasn't called you, the folks can drive you out. So you've got to be rooted enough to believe in your call. The second is character. Now, that word doesn't mean that you have to be good enough to be a preacher. That word means Moses was a murderer. Moses had a past he was trying to run from, don't we all? Here's this fallen nature. God uses us despite our past, not because of it. So all have sinned, preachers included. So we have to be honest. We can't preach down to people. We have to preach to them about our common problem. Third step is content. Now, Moses' content was liberation theology. Let my people go. Uh, and what we have to do is we have to wrestle with the appropriate biblical content. Here's these words about being evangelical come in. Being evangelical is part of the theological vocabulary of the last 2,000 years. We ought to fight for our words. Grace is a word. Mercy is a word. Redemption is a word. Evangelios, Greek word. Evangel, evangelistic, evangelist, evangel. That's our word. We can't give that to, you know, uh, Mike Pence. The fourth word is context. How do you preach? Now we come to this issue. How do you preach in a world where your words are being taken from you? How do you stand up and declare what you believe when the world thinks that your message is altogether different? How do you hold your ground? So Moses you know, had to preach in the context of Egypt that had a dozen other gods and a dozen other religions, and he was trying to make his message known. Like Paul in Acts 17 in uh, Athens, trying to make Christ known in a polytheistic world. And then the fifth step is consequences. Don't threaten Pharaoh if you are afraid. Hmm. He will Don't go to Pharaoh's palace and sell wolf tickets and not expect him to say, as he does, the next time I see your face, you will die. So if you're afraid, if you don't want to say things like I just said, if you are afraid, somebody might see it or hear it and get mad at you then just don't bother to go at all. Because in the end, preaching should have some risk attached to it. If every sermon ends in hallelujah, and you're the greatest preacher of all time, you are failing. 
some sermons ought to end with folk mad at you because you've gotten too close to who they are on the inside. They don't want to shake your hand this week because you mess with them. You know you're getting through. There are days when folks just, ooh, I can't, I can't deal with him right now. Doesn't mean you're right or wrong. It just means you made a point. You got through. I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't celebrate preachers for whom every Sunday sermon is well received. You know, some days folk ought to say, that was a hard word. I got to go back and reconsider my life today. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what those five points, the call, the character, the content, the context, and the consequences. I think if you put those five things to work in this environment, we can save our word evangelical. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it, what at the core of the message it sounds like of evangelicalism in that last tenet is like we're not settling for just uh, outward proclamation. We are we want inward transformation. Yeah, I mean you got to do both. You have got to be changed. Mm-hmm. But having been saved, saved to do what? You're not saved so you can wait to go to heaven. You are saved so that you can put Matthew 25. 31 to 44 into practice. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was a stranger. I was sick. I was in prison. And you acted on that. Or Luke 4, where Jesus goes to Nazareth and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, deliverance to the captives, and to set the oppressed free. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, you know, all of this prosperity business where all that God wants from you is to make you rich. The only ones really getting rich in the deal are the folk who sell it. (laughs) You know, the rest of us, you know, we're sowing into this ministry and sowing into this ministry. All right, so you drive a Bentley and I'm still riding the bus. Come on, man. And even the gospel, that's, that's, you know, that's another misuse of message. Yeah, it's like the ultimate pyramid scheme when you see the people that own yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that's our <laughs> next interview. We just discussed, <laughs> we just discussed prosperity theology. Yeah. <laughs> um, with you saying that, it really helps me because I've really been wanting to jettison the word altogether, but it's like the words, words matter. And if you, mm-hmm. if you're, if your decision to jettison every word that's hijacked, then you end up at some point with no words left because yeah. everybody's going to hijack something. If they yeah. hijack grace, if they hijack mercy, then you start they hijack to- love. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hijack love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We so have to take it back. We have to take it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that song that says, take back what the devil stole from me. This is one of those instances. We got to take back the words the devil stole from us. The word evangelical is in the New Testament. Every time you see the word, the good news, Mark chapter one, um, um, pit, the kingdom of God is at hand, believe the good news. That's the word, evangelical. I can't give up Mark. <laughs> and yeah. and these, these white conservatives, they ought to go read it. See, they ought to go read it because if they read the Gospel of Mark, and if they read the things that both John the Baptist and Jesus are saying in the first chapter of Mark, 
they would have to abandon everything they're doing. This is about the kingdom of God, not the political uh, domain of Donald Trump. They're just two different things altogether. Mm -hmm. But they don't know because they, they've been taught badly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. McNichol. Uh, you thank have you. definitely given us a lot to chew on. Uh, <laughs> like all the times you come, I really appreciate your work and um, and we will continue to use uh, your book uh, on our HBCU tour as a tour, as a tool. Okay, all right. I um, hope they all help. I hope they all help. Okay, yeah. all right. So have, oh, for, before you go, how can people get in contact with you on social media? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, so if you just, Marvin Mack, I, I think it's Marvin Mack 48. I don't know, that's a good question. I'm on Facebook. If you send me a Facebook post or look me up, you can you can send a friend request. Uh, the school's website is www.crcds.edu. My email is marvinmack48 at aol.com. Um, I don't have my own uh, website, but the school, you know, you can access me that way. All the books are on judsonpress.com or amazon.com. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, have a good day and we appreciate you being with us again. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.